welcome to the podcast. And today I'm talking to Emily Alston from Baxendale. Now, I, I met Emily a, a couple of weeks ago now, and she was telling me about Baxendale, and they've got a great story and a great history all around employee ownership. So I thought it'd be a great uh, opportunity to get Emily to share her story and a bit of a background about Baxendale before we leap into various types of uh, employee share ownership. So welcome, Emily. Great to have you on the show. Hi. Yeah, so I'm, I'm an, an advisor on employee ownership um, with a specialising in employee ownership trusts, um, and I work for Baxendale Employee Ownership. Um, but yes, we do have a very interesting backstory and we do, as, a, as an organisation, we're advisors in employee ownership. We really have um, employee ownership in the DNA of our organisation. So our founder was Philip Baxendale. He's one of the pioneers of employee ownership. And Philip inherited um, the Baxi Boiler Company. So manufactured, they manufactured boilers in Preston. Um, it was a family business and it was passed down to him through the family. He was one of the a number of family owners of the business and following his generation there was no obvious family succession route for the business after that mm -hmm. during his time working in manufacturing he got quite interested in employee ownership and also in the concept of of kind of labor and capital and why he, he is somebody who came from this Baxendale family could inherit all this wealth whereas the people who were building the boilers had no no rights to the profits that were created by the company and he did quite a lot of research and he visited sort of cooperatives and other employee businesses. He got quite interested in the, the John Lewis model where, of trust ownership. Um, and then um, he convinced the other family owners that a move into employee ownership was the best succession option for, for Baxi Boilers. And that's what they did. And in 1983, they created um, the Baxendale Partnership, the Baxi Partnership Trust, which is the trust that then owned Baxi Boilers, and they had sewn up the ownership succession of the company for the future. And they actually had an act of parliament passed in order to, and um, because there's an issue with trust in perpetuity, so the Baxi Partnership Trust is, uh, I think, the only employee ownership trust that has uh, the Baxi Partnership Trust Act went through parliament in order to ensure that the, the trust could go on in perpetuity. So so that happened. Everything was great. Unfortunately, the story didn't end quite so well for back the employees of Baxi Boilers because although the ownership succession part of the story had been tied up, they had some issues with leadership succession and they went through um, a number of CEOs in a short number of years um, in the kind of 10 years following um, the move into employee ownership. And then they had quite a successful CEO, but he was very, very ambitious and overstretched the business with acquisitions. And unfortunately, Baxi Boilers was then sold, had to be sold to, um, it was basically on its knees and had to be sold to a German company. But after the boiler company had, um, had left the business, the Baxi Partnership Trust still existed. And so did Philip Baxendale's enthusiasm for, for employee ownership as a, as a way of doing business and as a succession option. And um, so he repurposed the trust to support employee owned businesses and the trust still does that. And also the trust is the majority owner of a, of a couple of advisory businesses, one that does some work around public sector mutuals, which is Baxendale Advisory and Baxendale Employee Ownership, which is the employee owned advisory company that I work for. 
that, that moves that helps transition companies into employee ownership and we also support um, businesses which are already employee owned it's such a great backstory isn't it like um what a hard lesson to learn but um at the same time being a leader in employee ownership in this country um an act of parliament to get things going in perpetuity and um you know that might be an interesting conversation to see uh you know explore that one day as well but um the school of hard knocks and but that set you up to you know really be experts in the field so now Baxi um, focuses or Baxendale focuses on working with all organizations in helping them to become employee owned. So, and that's what you're focusing on today. Yeah. Let's, let's dig a bit deeper into that, shall we? Yeah. Yeah. So my personal background is, um, I can come from, I worked as a director of a business, um, an SME manufacturing business in Scotland and our founder, reached the point and he wasn't at the point of retirement but he was at the point that he had had enough of, of doing what he was doing um currently and he wanted to exit the business mm -hmm. but he didn't want to sell to a competitor he knew in the area of manufacturing that we were in that a sale to a competitor would mean the company being broken up into its bits and probably a large european manufacturer taking the drawings all the employees losing their jobs didn't want that to happen we weren't in a position to do a management buyout because we, we weren't able to, to, to raise the finance that we needed for that. And also, we could see that a management buyout would only perpetuate the problem. So this sort of weight of succession that our, our founder felt would just be passed on to the next generation. And what we really wanted to do was kind of tie up that succession um, question permanently. So um, the option that we found was to move the business into employee ownership, which at the time wasn't something that I knew very much about. Um, but the EOT legislation was just about to be introduced at that point in 2013. So I learned a lot about it um, in a very short amount of time. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there are some, some parallels in some ways. You know, there are things that we did when we moved the business into employee ownership because we were very much pioneers with EOT um, that, um, that I would do differently and that I would advise people to do differently now. You know, it's very much a, a learning on the job, but I, I got very quickly um, involved in the legislation around EOT and very, very quickly um, developed a, an enthusiasm for this sort of, for EOT, for trust ownership, for employee ownership and, and collective ownership, because you can see um, both in the business that I worked in, but also as I started getting involved with other businesses that were already employee owned, that the huge benefits, um, not only for employees, but also for the regions that businesses operate in um, and for, for productivity, and also for exiting owners, because um, the owner of our business was able to exit um, on his own terms. He was able to preserve the independence and the legacy of the business. And, and off he went um, to go and, and pursue other projects, um, knowing that he'd um, protected the employees too. Um, and, and also secured the, the legacy of the business that he built for the long term. So after I'd done that, um, I got involved with the Employee Ownership Association, which is fantastic membership association for employee-owned businesses and I sat on their board um, for a period of years and um, during this time I was advising quite a lot of people about employee ownership because people hear about what you've done and they want to know how you did it so I began um, informally having meetings with people to tell them about employee ownership um, and um, quite often people at my work would say what's Emily doing in the meeting room again I think she's talking about EO not about manufacturing um, 
And um, yeah, I was offered the opportunity to join Baxendale uh, Employee Ownership as an advisor. Um, and my enthusiasm for, for employee ownership and the, the benefits to all the stakeholders from owners, employees, customers, suppliers, all the way, way through my enthusiasm for that. Um, I, I knew that it was the right move for me to, to go and, and tell, so you, tell people about this and help people to do it. Yeah, it sounds like you really fell into doing something that you were already passionate about and already loved doing. Yeah, absolutely. What a fit. So it, it sounds like what you learned, um, and it was in Scotland, wasn't it, where you it were? It was, yeah. Before? Yeah, and, and Scotland is leading the way in, in really pushing and supporting the introduction of EOTs, isn't it? Um, That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of support in Scotland um, for companies to, to move into employee ownership. The two hotspots for EO businesses at the moment um, are in Scotland and also um, in London and the southeast. And the drive in London has been led largely by a lot of professional services businesses, so um, architecture, landscape architects. Um, there's quite a good fit for those businesses and their traditional um, partnership structures are breaking down because people at the lower end of architecture no longer have the money to buy in to a partnership structure so employee ownership is is replacing the traditional partnership structure in in architecture quite widely but yeah. saying that people say oh well this employee ownership it's just for for professional services but you know i came from a manufacturing background um, and actually um, employee ownership is working across sectors now and it's more the, the places where it maybe wouldn't fit are more about the sort of um, what the um, founder wants to get out of it, it not being a fit for the founder and, and the employee group rather than the sector. Because I think um, we've, we've pretty much proven that it, it can work across sectors. Yeah, I think I think you've hit on something that, that I've found in, in my working career as well. And that's just working with a lot of professional service companies or professional service businesses. You know, I think you know the old model is broken. You know, it's 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 hundreds of years old, and and you know the economy has moved on since that structure and 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 left it behind. Um, and you know, this is a you know employee ownership is a great way to work and benefit everyone in in a common work workplace or workforce. So uh, yeah. yeah, and and I think what what you also described is. Um, what we also see a lot of is business owners, you know, their business, they grow with their business over often a lifetime, but their whole career, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, they, for smaller businesses, they're very passionate about it, aren't they? You know, and they know, they often know all the employees personally. They think of it as like families. They see themselves as providing for those families and, and they're very attached to it. So when it comes time for them to start thinking about their next phase in life, their transition, they're, they're very conscious about leaving that legacy and wanting to look after that, those people that have helped them the whole way. Um, and, and as you say, in a traditional MBO type of arrangement, you know, people need to have the money. That's not always going to work, but uh, an employee share ownership scheme you know, mm. can be a great succession option. It can also be what, what I think we've said in the past and, um, is it doesn't have to just wait until being a succession or an exit option. It can be a great way to energise and align people on that journey towards succession and option, not just one, two or three years, but even five, 10, 15 years, you know, ensure everyone's on the same page, singing from the same hymn sheet, pick a metaphor, but you know, energise people, you know, 
for the same goals and outcomes. Yeah, that, so, we're definitely seeing at the moment a real um, increase. So most of the work that, that we do is still with exiting owners who are at the end of their careers and they're looking at what's going to happen to their businesses next. Yeah. And exactly as you say, money is always a motivation, but it's not always the only motivation. So people, some people are prepared to say, yeah. if I can get an amount that's enough, that's a fair price, actually these things like um, protecting my employees, having control over the process, the legacy of the business, protecting the independence of the business, these are on a par with me getting a fair price. These are important to me as well. So yeah. I'm not prepared myself to the highest bidder for that little bit extra. I'd like to, to take what's enough. Yeah. But actually, like you say, we're finding these, um, there's a group of, of business founders and owners now who are not at that point of retirement, but they would like to realize some capital that's in their business. Um, and they're interested, they want to continue working in the business, but they'd like to realize the capital for the point that they've got to up to that point, which they feel is the point where they put in, you know, a lot of extra as a, as a founder. And they say that from that point on, they would like a separation between the ownership of the business and their leadership of the business. They want to continue to lead the business, but now it feels fairer for the ownership of the business to be in the hands of everybody. And then, and we're finding an increase in that. And it's something which was quite a surprise to me. And it happens in um, quite a lot of digital businesses, uh, digital and software, where um, traditionally you would expect people to be going for a trade sale and, you know, so selling on for large sums of money. But actually, these founders, just like the exiting founders in the SME businesses, are interested in protecting the independence of their business. And also, they believe. Um, because it's quite hard to retain staff in some of those industries, that there'll be better staff retention if they say, if you join this business, there's not going to be um, that, that sale point. This business, is, its independence is secured for the long term. You join us and there's, there's a long term strategy yeah. in there. You know, this, this is employment for the long term, which, you know, for, um, for some people is, is a hugely important thing. And it's actually something that can be pretty rare at the moment so well absolutely and and yeah there's a lot of talk in the market about you know the gen x and the gen y and and how they feel about business and you know you know there's some talk about you know whether you know they flip from one business to another but what they're looking for is alignment and you know in purpose and cause and um yeah. you know, what this seems to be doing and and what we're seeing also is that um you know businesses are putting their money where their mouth is so to speak you know when they say people are our most important asset it's not just rhetoric, it's demonstrating that they, you know, people are their most important asset. And yeah, it is always a dilemma for a business owner, you know, to, to think about their exit strategy because they're going to leave one day whether they like it or not. Um, and, you know, they want to be able to leave on their terms when they want and how they want. So this helps them with the dilemma to, max, to, to balance getting the maximal return and leaving that legacy. So it, it seems like it's a beautiful solution all around or, what Covey might have called a win-win situation. Yeah, and then people who founded their own business are, are quite often um, quite interested in control and having control of the process because that's one of the things that makes you a good entrepreneur, you know, in the first place is that uh, yeah. needing to control all the small parts. And certainly in the case of a trade sale, that can be fairly um, uh, comprehensively undermined during that process because it's oh, yeah. quite, a, quite a tough process to go through. Whereas in the employee ownership process, you've got control of not only the detail of making sure that 
your interests are protected and that you're getting the fair price that you expect but also how long you're going to be repaid over is this you know is it partly with external finance is it all going to be vendor financed can you take some money out on day one all of those points but also the structure of the business going forwards and and particularly where people have taken a lower price than they might have got um otherwise then they've got quite a lot of flexibility then to say well okay i've given the business to to the trust you know i've sold it to the trust at a price which is a bit lower than maybe i would have got on the open market but from now on it's going to be run like this you know and these are going to be some of the some of the ways so some of the culture and ethos that i've built i'm going to make sure that's hardwired into the company going forward and yeah. that's the kind of um, protections around that legacy and, and culture that people have well, well absolutely and, and what they're doing is is having some influence over the future and um and and you've touched on something about you know gradually stepping down and um, in various areas and and what what we see over the years is that business owners when they start a business they often bundle up the three areas of of ownership of you know what are the benefits of ownership well i get an income i have some ownership and i have control and and what we see so often is that you know business owners bundle all those things together and treat them equally as one one entity if you like but what we do is we go, well, well, let's break, let's separate those out. You know, income, you know, what if you just get income for the work you do in the business, your role in the business? Equity is, is just your shareholding. What shareholding do you have in your business? And you can step down your shareholding different to what you can step down your role in the business. And control is just what structures, what governance structures, what board structures we have in place for controlling the strategy of your business. And if you go down employee ownership scheme, you can, well, any exit strategy, really, you can unbundle those three elements and treat them differently and identify a strategy for each one, depending on the needs of the owners. You know, are they, is control more important to them? Is income more important to them? Or is equity you know, more important to them? So, yeah, it's a really interesting way to look at things when we break down the elements. Yeah, and we talk a lot about the difference between um, the two that get bundled up the most, ownership and leadership, and, yeah. um, and, and make it separating those. And one of the fantastic things that employee ownership delivers is separating the ownership from the leadership. So when you're looking for somebody to take over for the next generation, you're looking for the best person to lead the company, not the best person to lead the company who's also got enough money to buy the company. And by separating those two things, you get better leadership in the long term because you don't just need the person who's going to be an okay leader, but he's got the deepest pockets. You know, it's, it's actually the person who's going to lead the company um, the best that, that can do it. And the other leadership and ownership point is because a majority of these deals are vendor financed, there's a period of time after the deal is done where probably the existing owner can continue, continues working in the business while they're being paid out. So you've got... Um, still quite a lot of control at that point but it gives you a fantastic window for letting go slowly so you can let the new leadership team you know get comfortable in their positions while you're still there and then there's a final point when you're paid out which is you know perhaps years along the line where you finally you know walk out of the door but it hasn't happened in a way where there's a you know a sudden cataclysmic change which can, can work quite well for some people equally though some people do want to walk out of the door on the day of completion and some of those deals have worked really well but you have to put the right protections in place for those people because if you're not going to be working in the business how are you going to make sure you're getting paid your um, your vendor loan 
well, you're going to have some protections around that to, to yeah. make sure that, that you get paid and that you can step in if you feel that things are going wrong and that you've got enough information about what's happening in the business and um, if you've handed over to somebody else. Yeah. And that sounds like you're talking specifically around an EOT. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. So, so why don't you, you know, because not everyone will be familiar with what an EOT is and, and employee ownership. So that might be a nice little uh, segue into an introduction and, uh, and we can take, move from there. Yeah, sure. So um, there are, uh, employee ownership can mean a, a whole break of different things and it's about um, some ownership being in the hands of the employees. Yeah. Um, employee ownership, trust ownership, um, the John Lewis partnership is the most famous example of a, of a large business that's owned by a trust. Yeah. Um, but um, then in 2014, we had been doing this, and Baxter employee ownership, we've been moving businesses into employee ownership since the early 2000s. So during that period of time, we were using employee benefit trusts to do that. But in 2014, an employee ownership trust was introduced, which is a, a new kind of trust. And what happens is it's the trust that buys the shares in the business. And provided the trust has bought a majority share, so 51% or more, um, the shares can be sold into the trust free of capital gains tax. Um, that tax benefit was put in place by the government because they accepted that ownership by employees is a good thing, but sometimes exiting owners have to accept a lower price um, in order to do that. So the capital gains tax exemption is there to kind of bridge some of that gap between the money that people might have got by selling their business on the open market and what they'll get when they sell into an employee ownership trust. So most of the deals are vendor financed. Um, so the company will pay out of its profits will we'll pay off the loan over a period of time. So employees don't have to part with any money. And the shares of the business, the majority share, is held in the trust for the benefit of the employees. So you then have a trust board who will be in control of the ownership of the business. But you would still have an operational board just like in another company. So one of the big misconceptions about employee ownership is, you know, how can I lead a company when the employees are in charge? Well, they're not in charge. If your business will still be run by its operational board, as you would expect. Yep. You have a trust board, which is in charge of the shareholder rights, and sometimes has another role too around about protecting culture and an ethos of the business. If that's a particularly, in some businesses, that's particularly important and can have been one of the drivers. That's not always the case though. Sometimes they're just there in a monitoring role, hold the board to account like shareholders would do. Um, so yeah, but that's basically how it's how it's structured. There's um, another tax benefit too, which is um, the share in the profits. A share in the profits of up to three thousand six hundred pounds can be paid to the employees free of income tax each year. So there's an uh, a tax gain for both the employees and for the exiting owner. Yeah, and I think one of the important distinctions that you you just touched on briefly there that are worth um, exploring a bit is that the employees don't own the business. The trust owns the business. And it's what we were talking about earlier about, you know, breaking down and separating or unbundling income ownership and control. You know, the, the trust is just an ownership and, and it's not the management team. You know, the, the roles for managing and leading the business are separate to the ownership. And, you know, that becomes a functional business model. And that's how we get, you know, longevity. I think the other thing that you, you touched on and, uh, yeah, it was really interesting is that, you know, as business owners, because they've been attached to their business for so long, you know, it, when it comes to exit or even succession strategy, 
it's as much about getting the business owners ready and prepared for the transition as it is getting the, the business ready and, and setting up the systems and processes and, and education for everyone else in the business and, and changing the culture. So in your experience, what, what sort of businesses are, are suitable or, or, you know, for employee ownership or what changes need to be made into most businesses before they are suitable for employee ownership? I think um, you want to look at um, success, succession, what people's goals are for their exit from the business. So, you know, if, if it's not about sectors, like I said earlier, it's more about what the founder wants to get out of it. And it's about, you know, the, the structure of the business. And yes, there are some businesses like professional services businesses, which are a very neat fit into employee ownership, but actually there's some other businesses um, where, you know, there's not usually that collaborative culture where you can actually see a much bigger benefit from the move into employee ownership because the changes, the increases in sharing information, the fact that people get a share in the profits and these things create a kind of uh, collaborative and more participative culture within the business. And you get a bigger kind of, they call, there's like a, an employee ownership uplift where, um, you know, you suddenly see an increase in profits when the employees become owners. Well, in businesses that already have quite a collaborative model, you don't see that quite so much. Whereas in businesses where it is a change in culture, and obviously the legal paperwork on its own is not going to make a change in culture. You have to have a committed management team and everybody needs to be behind, you know. Because it's beneficial ownership, people haven't got a share certificate in their hands. So you have to be prepared to make that feeling of that ownership real for people and, and to believe in it as an organisation. But you can in businesses which don't traditionally have those cultures, you you can see a huge increase in, in kind of productivity and engagement and participation for employees. So I wouldn't say there was a sector that w there wasn't any good. I think you need to look at what a founder's drivers behind their exit are. So if somebody's looking to get all the money on day one, if you have um, maybe somebody who's exiting their business and they're, um, they're in their 80s, then probably an vendor financed employee ownership deal is not going to be for them. They're going to need that money now. They probably want to go and find somebody who's going to buy their business so that they can get the, they can get the money as quickly as possible. Um, equally, if you've got somebody who's interested in a, a sale to the highest bidder or a group of shareholders who are into sort of maximizing what their return is going to be when the business is sold, um, then it's probably not for them either because, you know, arguably, you know, you're going to get a fair price if your business is profitable. Um, and you can balance that. There's a balance, which is how much money is enough for you, how much the business can, can pay out, and how long you and the employees are willing to wait for the, to reach the point that you're, you're paid off to reach the end of the earn-out period. And if you can balance those things, then perhaps you can get enough money and to, to satisfy that. But, uh, but those are the businesses that it probably wouldn't suit so well. Um, other businesses, I think, um, genuinely... If people are interested in protecting the independence and protecting legacy and um, protecting the interests of their employees, um, there's not there's not a sector that it's not appropriate to. It's just understanding what what your goals what your goals are and continuity is a huge one. People who are interested in continuity that's a major benefit not just for the owners but for the employees as well. And um, it can sometimes be quite a hard sell to employees is that um, the brilliant thing that's happening is everything's going to stay the same. But actually, um, if you have an employee or a number of employees who've been through a trade sale before, um, 
people can there can be quite a negative fallout for employees after that yeah. and quite often that's actually a surprisingly um big selling point to employees and um, so it's on the most basic level for employees that's the the biggest um the biggest selling point is you know there's this this continuity but obviously the more involved in the employee and sort of structure that, that the business becomes there are a lot of other benefits from for employees profit share on a huge purely financial basis but also participation and um, greater transparency people understanding where the business is at which then allows people to make better decisions so you get this kind of uplift in, pro in productivity and the business performs better businesses tend to get rooted in the regions that they were founded which can be important to some people and also um, supports regional economies okay and, and what's your experience about um, the employees themselves when when they when they make the switch to an employee ownership you know what's in it for them what's the motivator you, you touched on you know some some tax benefits but you know they're, they're aligned to the bigger picture what, what's your experience around that yes yeah, so, I mean but it, it's interesting and um, one of the most important things is is managing expectations around this because it is very good for protecting continuity and um, in businesses so if people really like their job then they're going to be on board with this because this is what's going to allow you to carry on after the founder or the seller exits this is what's going to allow you to carry on doing the job that you love into the future and tie up that succession issue that means there's not going to be um, a trade sale further along the line which is you know could could have a negative impact on that and um, so, so there's that, um, but then there's also um, the on the, the trust board. Usually, you've got some. You don't have to, but usually there's some employee involvement on the trust board, which means that the employees have got a voice at ownership level. Yeah. Um, it's quite important to distinguish between what's an employment right. So, everybody's employment rights and contracts of employment will stay the same. You know, you're still going to work to do the same job you were going to work to do yesterday. But normally there is an employee voice at, at ownership level, which means that there is some, the employees can, can guide the direction of the business or at least have um, a lot more information about the direction and vision and strategy of the business that they're working in and have an entitlement to that as beneficial owners. Um, so, so that's great. And then if people really embrace the employee-owned thing, there is lots of opportunities for greater participation in like strategy and vision but also just you know at ground level make you know, greater amounts of decision making but the amount of involvement that the employees have really depends on the business and the way that it's structured for some businesses they want to give a lot of participation and a lot of involvement to employees as part of the move for other people it's really just about tying up the continuity part tying up independence and legacy mm -hmm. and then saying you know You've got the right now to continue doing the job that you love for as long as as long as you want to do it. But you do have to manage expectations and say to people, you know, if you didn't like your job the day before employee ownership, you're not going to like it the day after either, because this is, this is a continuity sale. You know, it's not a, a, a yeah. huge job sale. And you're still working with the same people. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Before. Yeah. So, so you've talked about a whole lot of good things, and we've we've discussed all the benefits and and positives of of uh, employee ownership. What could possibly go wrong? Um, there is an important point about managing people's expectations at the start of the process. So if you um, have a big fanfare, you're all going to become owners. 
people are, can um, interpret that whichever way they want it's important to understand what beneficial ownership is i should say that you know some of these um employee-owned schemes do have some direct share ownership as well and we still we do quite a lot of hybrid schemes too where people okay. have direct share ownership but you know know what it is you're going to deliver to people and, and manage expectations i think there can be a degree of cynicism particularly during the earn out period where you know you've been given this employee ownership thing but all the profits of the business are still going to pay out an exiting owner so you're not seeing any share of the profits yet so businesses can be celebrating profit for years and people can feel like well we're owners now we should be seeing some of that but during that earn out period it's all, it's all going to the um to the exiting owners and you have to be really straight up with people about that from the beginning so people understand you know this is the period of the earn out provided we hit this profit because if we don't then the earn out period is going to be longer and yep. um, and so that people really understand that and they're working towards that kind of financial freedom day that's going to come further along the line so that they don't feel that they're working for nothing during the um the earn out period because that sort of cynicism all the money's going to that guy um and that can be a problem when owners um, leave as well if the owners are still working in the business during the earn out you can like people can still see the benefit that they're creating and the the income that they're creating for the business you know so that can make that a little easier and and i've got to go back to the baxendale story too and the other thing that can go wrong is you've tied up the ownership succession but have you looked properly at leadership succession and where that um that leadership uh, journey is going to go because if you've got somebody who comes in who doesn't understand employee ownership um then things can can start to go wrong and luckily as the employee owned sector grows and this, this becomes you know more of a usual thing for people to do there's a lot of people out there who do understand eo and want to lead eo businesses but um yeah i mean the thing with a with an eo business is normally there's not a big trade sale at the end this is about you know securing um things for the long term so you've got to look for leaders you've got that long term um yeah that long term attitude and you understand that what, so, what's going on here you know this isn't about building for a sale you, you you basically there's a warning there know what you're getting into you know there, there's a commercial exit strategy but there's also a cultural strategy and and those businesses that open up and have i think you mentioned transparency around strategy and and naturally finances as well yeah mm -hmm. yeah i know historically there's a lot of business owners who are um, really concerned about sharing finances with, with employees. There's, there's a fear around that. You know, what if they find out what I'm earning? You know, whether that's a lot or not. <laughs> yeah, and um, you know, so I think uh, what you if I'm right, what you're suggesting is that um, you've seen it work best when the culture is open and everyone, you know, there's transparency there um, of, of what's happening. Yeah. And there's incredible benefits if you can go down that route. And it's not about sharing what people earn. Because nobody, you know, that's people's private business. But sharing the um, the performance of the company, even when it's bad, can be a big hurdle for people. But actually, if you share poor performance with people, then they will make better decisions for you. So if you don't share poor performance with people, then they'll just carry on spending money like they spent money before. They'll carry on making decisions in their working day um, in the way that they did you know when they thought things were, were on their wrappers whereas if you share poor performance with people people will find ways you know no actually i'm not going to do that because that's that's not the right thing to do just now or i'm going to ask again about that and 
and people will find ways to save money if they know that performance is poor and you just you're giving people the ability to make better decisions in their in their job roles from the from the bottom to the top you know whereas if you don't share that information with people people have only got their own assumptions to to base things yeah. on you know and when someone's making an assumption what's the chance that they're going to make arrive at the assumption that you want them to arrive at it's a, unlikely <laughs> pretty low isn't it yeah yeah so, Emily, why don't we, we wrap it up and, and, and why don't you leave the listeners with your top tip or uh, top advice or gotcha um, based on what you've learned about working with employee share ownership? Um, what I would say um, for people who are looking at an exit for their business is that employee ownership is not for everyone, but it's definitely worth a second look. And so that, that would be my, uh, my tip for the top. I'd say, you know, don't rule it out. Have a look into it. Maybe it's not for you. But, um, and we definitely wouldn't advise that it's for everybody, but it's definitely worth a second look. Yeah, definitely one of the options we should be looking at. Brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a great tip. Hey, thanks for sharing with us today, Emily. Uh, some fantastic insights there and, and experiences, and especially linking it back to, uh, I guess, your you know, the Baxendale story and your personal experience as well. Um, great chatting to you today. Yeah, lovely to talk to you. All the best. Cheers. Thank you.